Chronicles chapter number 29, verse number 10 is where we're going to start. This morning, Brother Chip texted me and said, Pastor, not going to make it, whatever it is, he's got it too. And, and so he's down, they have a new child, but then he's down also with uh, whatever sickness. And, and uh, it was a thread where it was me and Lamar and Brother Chip on there, and he says, hey, I'm not going to make it. And so I was kind of kidding around, and I said, oh, no, you too. It's me too. I'm not going to make it. I was doing that for Lamar's sake. <laughs> he, uh, Lamar has really stepped up to the plate uh, through the uh, missions conference and everything else, a lot laid on his, on his uh, shoulders, and I'm thinking, let's see what he does right now. <laughs> I said, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. At least I'm here, and so we're, we're going to do this here. First Chronicles chapter 29, <coughs> excuse me, First Chronicles 29 from verse number 10, wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation, and David said, blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. Thank you, Lord, for this prayer that David prayed and what it meant to him and what it meant to those people, what it means to us here today. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand what it means to bless God, to uh, throw our, our worship and our honor and our exaltation to you, Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand what worship means and how David worshiped and he encouraged the people of God to worship. And Lord, that we would indeed prepare our hearts right now to worship you. Lord, I pray that we would get a clear picture of what our place is in exalting and honoring and extolling and blessing God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time that we were here was prior to the missions conference, and then we also had a, 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 a focus on uh, our witness to the world. But when we were here in this passage, we identified the ingredients of a perfect heart. In verse number 9 of our text, it says, With perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. We said that Sunday that a perfect-hearted offering recognizes His redemption reflects our Redeemer and represents our respect to the Lord as they offered with a perfect heart unto the Lord. And we're going on this morning. We're trying to get the kernel of David's blessing to God. He it was blessed by God, but this is David blessing God from verse number 10. <coughs> Wherefore, David blessed the Lord. He said, blessed be thou. He blessed God. The word blessed, as in the action that David applied toward the Lord in verse 10, he, he said it twice in that verse. Blessed or blessed, 
the Hebrew word barak, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but the, the word blessed or bless, defined in the Hebrew concordance, is defined as this. To kneel. The first and the foremost definition of blessing, where it says, David blessed the Lord. The first definition or, or uh, <clears throat> uh, application of that word is to kneel. By implication, to bless God as an act of adoration. It is translated in our English Bible as blessed or blessed many, many times. Elsewhere, it is also translated a few times as abundantly together at all. Blaspheme, that's in the negative perspective of worship. As you would bless and honor the almighty and all holy God, then blaspheme is the negative of that. The word blessed means bless or congratulate or kneel down. Other places in the Bible, it's, it's uh, listed as praise or salute or thank, thanksgiving. Since bow or kneel down is so much a part of the word, in the definition, while it may not be required to kneel to adopt the attitude, it's significant in body language to determine the attitude that goes along with this action. That of worship, praise, evaluation of the being approached by our presence. It's attributing value to the person that we are approaching. When David says, David blessed the Lord, and David said, blessed be thou, Lord our God, uh, our, our Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. In Dr. Dave Hardy's excellent book, Worship and the Ear of God, uh, this will be available in, in uh, our guest services to come. I'm not real sure if we have any more copies here this morning, but you can order one. Excellent. Very, very good. I'll be going over some of the things in here uh, today and in a few weeks to come. Uh, an excellent book that he gives a wonderful definition of this bowing low, of this worship, adoration, evaluation of the Lord. He defines worship as this, and I quote, The voluntary humbling of one person physically and spiritually in order to exalt another. And what you have to understand there is the, is the, the comparison or the contrast of when two meet together, worship is the voluntary humbling of one person physically and spiritually in order to exalt another. It always involves humility and the perspective of contrast. A corrupt man in the presence of an absolutely absent from sin, holy God. And in that contrast, in that meeting, there was worship. There was a bowing down. It's, it's a humility that happens when a finite human in the proximity of an eternal sovereign a weak, a dying, a frail creature face to face with the Creator, the Almighty. No wonder humility would be the hallmark of that connection. No wonder the body language alone exalts the most powerful, eternal, and perfect personal force in assuming the position of being lower, much lower than that God. The position should match the attitude of exalting another. 
That's worship. When we bow down, when we bless God. Now, although there are similar aspects of worship with praise and prayer, worship is attributing the value of God. It's understanding, it's, it's accepting, it's taking in who we approach. Prayer is generally asking. Praise is generally thanking God for his goodness and for his blessings to us. But worship is generally exaltation and recognition of worthiness. Worship, developed from the etymology of the English word, is started out as, as worthship. You would say it like that, worthship, which later morphed into the word that we use, worship. Attributing value or worth to something or someone. It's easy to blur the distinction of the different aspects of prayer, praise, and worship because often they deal with common topics or truths. As in the last verse of our text this morning in 1 Chronicles 29, 13, he says, Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. There's thankfulness, there's praise, and there's accepting or, or uh, uh, taking in his glory all in, in one phrase. But the verses prior deal with particularly worship, blessing God. So the blessing that David was doing to God was in fact <coughs> the action of worship, the recognition of the person, the power, the worthiness of God. It's a verb, folks, to bless God. He was in the act of blessing or worshiping. Later in the chapter, David encourages the people to bless or to worship the Lord with him. Look at it in verse number 20. He's saying the same thing to the people. First, he worships himself. And then David says, <clears throat> David said to the congregation, Now, <coughs> bless the Lord your God. And all the congregation blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed down their heads and worshiped the Lord and the king. Here was an instance of them giving that reverence to the Lord, not with a full prostration with their faces to the ground, but only bowing their heads. It says they bowed down their heads. And note that we must consider the full meaning of words and not box ourselves into a corner by exclusive recognition of only one action. The most important thing is the attitude of our dealing with the truth. Not the action, but our attitude, our heart's attitude when we approach God. Now, folks, I understand that this is uh, <coughs> maybe uh, uh, slight, the nuances of what we're talking about, the word bless or worship God, but stay with me. It's important, folks, that we get this. <coughs> Excuse me. It's, it's the, the truth that we're getting across, the attitude that... that uh, is associated with that truth, not the action. For example, we close our eyes in prayer, usually to aid in shutting out the distractions of the world. Uh, but not while driving. <laughs> How many of you pray while you're in the, in the car? Yes, yeah, amen. Uh, I have uh, teenagers that I, I actually taught to drive. I prayed a lot <laughs> when I was, I remember... <laughs> I remember once when I'm, I'm teaching Becky and I'm finally giving her the keys to the car. We're, we're going down 228 and we're going to make a left into my neighborhood there, you know, and off of that, that, that uh, light there. And she's got her blinker on. She's doing everything right. 
but she did not slow down. You know, and I'm going, now surely she's going to, you know, but she's just ex inexperienced. And surely she's going to slow down. Surely she's got her foot on the brake. Surely she did not slow down going down 228 at 30, 35 miles an hour. And she turned. <laughs> and I prayed. <laughs> she made it, didn't touch anything. And I'm thank God. <laughs> but you can do things while you're praying and not have your eyes closed. I don't close my eyes when I drive. And I pray. You know, but I do pray when I drive. Uh, and, you know, it's not necessary that you close your eyes, but we do that. It's kind of a practice that we do because we want to shut out the distraction. I'm te teaching, or not teaching, I'm, I'm speaking to, I'm in the presence of a God I cannot see with my eyes, so I don't want distraction, so that's why I would close my eyes while I pray. But it's not necessary. You know, the, uh, there were some people speaking about the most fervent prayer that you can have and one says, well, I feel like you can bow your head and you close your eyes, and that's how I feel close to God. And my, my prayers are most effective. And somebody else says, well, no, actually, to, be, to, to have the most fervent prayer, you kneel before God and you pray. And, and the other one said, no, no, you lay prostrate before him with your face on the ground, and that's how you approach a holy God, and that's where your, your most fervent prayers are. And a lineman uh, that worked on telephone wires, he said, I beg to differ. My most fervent prayer was when I slipped and uh, the, the wire caught me by my ankle and I'm hold, uh, uh, hanging upside down about 45 feet up off the ground. That's the position that my most fervent prayer ever took place. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's actually not the position. We, well, we've got to understand, we're talking about an attitude. So when we worship, and folks, that's why I say, you know, if you want to get the, the, the book that we're going to be dealing with, some of the concepts are very good, very good, talking about how that the, the, the attitude, the body language when we come to uh, worship before the Lord should match our heart and our understanding and our grasp of who we are uh, before. <coughs> Remember, it's the attitude that we want to convey in the action, not the action. Can we have the proper bodily position without the correct heart attitude? Heart attitude? Well, yeah, we can. I did for years in attendance in masses where the Lord wasn't properly understood in the religious institutions that, that I was uh, raised in. Um, they're kneelers. They're, there are... Uh, uh, in, in uh, uh, certain churches, there are kneelers in the pews right in front to where you can stand or you can kneel. You actually have these kneelers where it's easy to kneel on when they ask you to kneel. And, and it's stand, kneel, sit, kneel. You know, there's different aspects in it. And, and I remember kneeling before the, before the Lord, or is supposed to be, in those years when in, as a child, where me and my siblings bickered with each other while on our knees. And uh, so there was something that was not right. You know, maybe it was the right body position, but you see, it's not the body position. That's not everything. Again, the most common positions of God in the good book, by far, when one is worshiping, would be lowered in the presence of the one to whom recognition, value, and exaltation is given. So although not necessarily required, yet it's absolutely fitting that we do kneel before him 
when we approach and we worship the king. We think of the word blessed, you know, that noun, blessed, blessed or blessed. <clears throat> and, and it is a noun by saying, I am blessed. And, and many times in the Bible, we, we see that commonly as one who is fortunate, as a recipient of good things. I can be a blessing to you by maybe covering a financial need for you. I can be blessed by the tender, loving care of my Heavenly Father. The animals in the oceans and skies God created on day five of creation were blessed. They were helped. They were provided for. They were, they were allowed to enjoy a wonderful, full life. In Genesis 1.22, the Bible says, And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters and the seas, let the fowls multiply in the earth. So they were blessed by God in that sense. Abraham's seed was blessed in Genesis 12.2. And I will make of thee a great nation, God says, and I will bless thee, and using that word bless as, as an action that God would do, and Abraham would, Abraham would receive uh, things, blessings, positions, honors. He says, I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed or blessed. The whole earth is blessed by the Messiah coming to earth through the Jewish nation and Abraham's lineage. So he says, and, and, and it's a statement, it's a fact. God says, I will bless those that bless you, curse those that curse you as a nation. By the way, the anti-Semitism cropping up with a few newly elected members of Congress today are advocating a very dangerous position that many liberals are latching to. But folks, let me make this clear. Uh, if we want to remain a strong and blessed nation, then we must be a friend to the Jew. God couldn't have made it any clearer in his words, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. Uh, the, the, the promise is still in effect, folks. It's still true today. So the word blessed or blessed can mean the condition of one who is cared for or honored or favored or... It can be a verb, an action, an action of honoring, of exalting or glorifying. And that's exactly the business of our text when it says that David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. That was something he was doing. <coughs> he was bowing before the Lord. It was an act of worship. And David said, blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel. So, so that's where we are. David was recognizing God he was recognizing who he was and the smallness or the insignificance of his own being in the presence of this deity. He was putting it accurately like it should be put. This was right. It was fitting. It was proper as it is with us in his presence this morning in his house. It's proper. It's fitting for us to bless the Lord, to worship him, to, to understand who we we stand before who we kneel before, who we bow before. Remember the scene when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey in that whole scene in Luke chapter 19. It was a divine fulfillment of actually Zechariah chapter 9, where it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh to thee. He is just and having salvation, <coughs> lowly and riding upon an ass, upon the colt of the foal of an ass. This was a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ 
in his fulfillment of who he was and, and, and taking his position. The Bible says in Luke chapter 19, verse 35, <coughs> And they brought him, that is the donkey, to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon, and as he went, they spread their clothes in the way, and, and when he was come nigh, even now the descent of the Mount of Olives, a whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God, that is, exalt God, recognize who God is with a loud voice for the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And notice what Jesus said in verse number 40. He answered and said unto them, I tell you that if they should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. He was not exaggerating. He was not going overboard in what he was saying. He was saying, this is right. They were recognizing my presence, who I am. They were honoring God for, for all the things that have been taking place and what they understand uh, me to be. And, and stones cry out? Why? Well, because it was right. It was fitting. It was proper. And it was compelled by the creator of all things to be worshipped properly addressed just as it is for us to bless or to worship him folks remember that this is what god wants this is what god is after what he seeks from his creation john chapter 4 verse number 23 but the hour cometh jesus said and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the father in spirit and in truth and notice what he says here is very important for the father seeketh such to worship him. That, that's what God is after. <clears throat> God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. He says the Father seeks such to worship him. The Lord is looking for those to worship him. Since God desires his people to worship him, he seeketh such to worship him. Why don't we do that this morning? Let's do that. Let's give what he is after, what he is in desire, in, in desire of, and that is those that worship him. For us to worship him, he requests in spirit and truth. We can pattern ourselves after the congregation of David's day and do the same thing that David did. Let's look at our text again as we opened up this morning. First Chronicles 29, verse number 10. In, in these verses right here, these next verses that we're going to read and we'll try to expound upon, I don't know that we're going to get through Everything is, I'm just covering half of the verse. But there's so much in here that David recognized of the Lord. Uh, the Bible says again, First Chronicles 29.10, Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, of our Father forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and is in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. And he goes on. We bless or worship God because he is, number one, eternal. He said, wherefore, David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our father, forever and ever. He recognized one aspect of this being whom he was approaching, and he, he made the statement that he is Lord forever and ever. He is eternal. There are some things that we 
just cannot grasp, being that we are finite. It's hard for us to try to even wrap our minds around this attribute of God, that He is eternal. Forever He's been here, forever He will be here. He does not change, He is eternal forever and ever. We have a beginning, God has no beginning. The Hebrew word forever and ever is literally, and I, I quote, time out of mind past or future. Time out of mind past or future. It is further than your mind can grasp in the past or in the future, that is forever and ever. It goes on. Forever and ever is defined as always, continual, eternal, perpetual. It literally means the vanishing point. It's, it's really cool how these words are. They, they, they have word pictures of describing what we're, we're trying to, to understand. His, his eternal being, the vanishing point. As if you were looking forward or backward on a road with no end that goes on into infinity. It would, it would vanish from your perspective. You could see it go on and on and on and on and on, and then you couldn't see anymore. You go, look this direction, and it just goes on and on. It, it's literally the vanishing point from our perspective. And that's the idea of Psalm chapter 90, verse number 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. In either direction, no matter how far you look, in the past or in the future, God is God, and He always was God. He always will be God. There, were, there was always God and always shall be God. In that light only does His name, the great I Am, come into significance. You remember when Moses said, what is your name? What do I say? Who, who sent me? He says, say that I Am have sent you. Always existent, always eternal. Isaiah 44, verse 6, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Totally exclusive, none like God, eternal. Go as far back, and he's beyond that. He's, he's, he's the first. The end, go on as far as you want, he's still there. The first and the last. Nobody like God. Unlike the earth or the universe that is awesome. The Bible says, Psalm 102, verse 25, Of old thou hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. But folks, here's the, the, the comparison to the, eternal, to, uh, the eternal God to this finite creation. They shall perish, thou shalt endure. All of them shall wax old like a garment, as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. He's talking about the universe the material universe that we know about, it's not, it's not eternal. That shall be changed. And he says, but in, in contrast, you endure. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. Folks, that's only an attribute of God, only one eternal, only one forever and ever. Jesus Christ is indeed God. 
because he is eternal. He is eternal. We have a beginning and we come to an end without him. And so we worship. We bless or worship God because he is eternal. We bless or worship God because he's great. Look at our text again. First Chronicles 29, 11. <clears throat> Thine, O Lord, is the greatness. <laughs> I like how he puts this. <coughs> Excuse me. God is great. The greatness. Anything that has to do with, with big, with, with uh, immense, with, with powerful, with, with first and foremost, with greatness. God is great. The word means extreme or uber or ultimate or biggest or grandest. Think of the most awe-inspiring scene that you could ever think about. God is greater than that. See, that's only his creation. That's only what we could see, what we could perceive, and that's what he made. If size is the measuring stick, then God is so far beyond the comparison that there is no contrast. And the songs that we sang this morning about Mount, uh, Mount Rainier, think of Mount Rainier when we talk about uh, mountain, forest glades, and that kind of thing. Just the beauty in this state is just awesome. But think about it, Mount Rainier or the Olympics or Baker or... Pikes Peak, Snoqualmie Falls, if you've ever been there, just awesome. A sunset over the San Juan Islands. Anybody here ever been to Diablo Dam? Let me see your hands. Okay, that's only, that's less than a quarter. Folks, you need to take two or three hours and get out to Diablo Dam in eastern Washington and walk the dam. I mean, not just see it from the one side, I mean, walk the dam. On one side is this, this beautiful turquoise lake, this dam, this reservoir that's been there. And on the other side is this huge chasm, this valley. It's just awesome. It's awesome. You know, think of those things. Anything you can take in that makes you feel puny and insignificant. It feels puny and insignificant contrasted to God. I'm talking about these awesome things are puny and insignificant contrasted to God because He's great. He's big. He's bigger than his creation. Folks, our Milky Way galaxy is said to have some 400 billion stars like our sun. Some larger, some smaller, some hotter. 400, we, I don't know that we can, we can actually grasp these figures, these numbers. 400 billion stars like our sun that are 150,000 to 200,000 light years in diameter. I'm talking, and that's, that's a, a, a distance now we're talking about, a distance. A light year is 196,000 miles per second. That's how fast light travels. And so if you were to shine a light, it will go one second, it'll go 196,000 miles, one second. You let that, that beam go on for one year, that's one light year. That's a long ways. That's a long distance. They keep out and shining for 150,000 to 200,000 years. That's how, that's how big the Milky Way galaxy is. That's the galaxy in which we live in. That's big. That's, that's so big we can't grasp that. How big is the universe? And how many stars are there altogether? Well, it was anybody's guess with conventional earthbound telescopes, but since the first 
of the super powerful space-based telescopes, the Hubble, was orbited, we were blown away with the unbelievable observation. We pointed the Hubble telescope, which didn't have the, 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 uh, the, the, the mist or the problem of atmosphere, it's beyond our atmosphere, pointed the, the Hubble telescope in the direction of what we thought was a dark spot in the space horizon. And looking at a patch of sky no bigger than a grain of sand held at arm's length, if you were to put a grain of sand on your finger and hold it out and, and look at that grain of sand, the size of that grain of sand against the night sky, that size, I'm talking about that size, teeny, almost like a pinprick, a, one grain of sand size of the, of the night sky. They pointed the Hubble telescope in a direction that we thought was dark, and in that, within that, that minute area, we found there were over 10,000 galaxies, like the Milky Way. Like this Milky Way that we live in, in that patch of sky, over 10,000 galaxies. Goodness. So the visible universe would contain over 100 billion galaxies, with each one of those galaxies with more than 1 billion stars each. Folks, that means there are more stars out there in the observable universe than there are grains of sand in the earth. God's bigger than that. How big, how awesome and amazing is the universe. But God is greater than the material universe. He's bigger. He's more awesome. He's above creation. He's the creator. He is great and we are small. Bow before him. It's appropriate. We bless or worship God because he's eternal, because he's great, because he's powerful. Look at what our text says in 1 Chronicles 29, 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power. <coughs> God is certainly powerful. We have to admire his power. Easily observed here on earth as far as uh, things that, that he's created, like gravity or condensation, tides, Atmospheric pressures, lightning, solar impacts, volcanoes, earthquakes, sunspots, what we can observe in the, in the universe, supernovas, black holes. A simple sunrise tells the story of a perfect rotational planet in the orbit around the sun's powerful grip. The Bible says in Jeremiah 32, 17, Our Lord God, behold... Thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. How appropriate when we look at the, the power of the universe and recognize this is an act of our creator, there is nothing. To, you, know what, you know what that means? It, it means omnipotent, all-powerful. There is nothing too hard for thee. In light of his creation alone, he affirms his omnipotence. But our relatively small problems that seem impossible, he counts as small potatoes. 
He reminded Abraham in Genesis 18, you remember when he says you're going to have a child as beyond childbearing. Abraham had a problem with that. And this is what God said to him in verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Why could he ask that question? Because under the category of omnipotence, nothing is too hard for God. Nothing. When it comes to capturing an impossibly wicked heart, the gospel displays his power. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God, the power of, of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We are weak and frail. He is powerful. Bow before him. Why do we worship? Why do we bless or worship him? Because he is glorified. Look at our, our text again in verse number 11 where we started. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power, and the next word, is and the glory. The word intimates his beauty. The display of his splendor is far above his creation. His creation can be glorious and beautiful and breathtaking and pleasing in display. But God's glory far exceeds any of that. As a matter of fact, his unshielded glory is fatal to the physical human. His brightness would so shock the system that it said in Exodus 33, verse 20, he said, Thou canst not see my face, God said to Moses, for there shall no man see me and live. And you know that story, how that God had to shield, had to buffer his glory so that Moses could see just a, 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 a tinted uh, uh, part of his glory. His face shone with that. When he came, scared the others. He had to wear, wear a veil because of being in the presence of a muted glory of God. God is glorified. We bow before him. We bless him because he's glorified. We bless him because he is victorious. Our text goes on. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory. Winner over every enemy. We live in a sin-cursed world where there are many enemies of God, opponents of God, violators of God's laws, of his plan, of his will. You can go ahead and squawk about it now if you want to, but the Bible says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You can go ahead and scoff if you want to now, but every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess that he is victorious. Let us voluntarily bow before him this morning. And then look at verse number 11. Thine, O Lord, again in our text, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. This speaks of His grandeur, His honor, His majesty. No one more venerated, no one, no one more worthy, more great, greater. It's fitting to bow before, to bless the Lord, to worship Him. See, David unfolds all of this in the wrapping of thankfulness and praise to have such a relationship to this God as he says, he starts it off with, say, in verse number 10, 1 Chronicles 29, 10, wherefore, God, uh, wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation, and David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. 
He, he wraps all of that up in a relationship with God as his father. The one who gives us strength. See, folks, he wanted me. He wanted to adopt me into his family. He wanted to save me. He loves me. He allows me to enjoy him and his wealth and his life right now. Now, we haven't talked about him being exalted in the rest of the verse that we'll, we'll kind of cover later, but goodness, he wants me to be heir of all of that. Wow. Lost friend, if you're here without Christ, he loves you and wants you to be his and enjoy his eternal life also. So, believer, why don't we do just that today? Bow before him. He seeks those to worship him. It would be appropriate for those of us who could physically turn in our place right where we're at and, and get down on our knees. If you can't, I understand that. That's fine. Or if you even want to join me at the altar, but I want to do that right now. Folks, as a congregation, I want to bow before him. I want to take this time to worship him. So if you would do that, and if you would join me right now, let's, let's do that. And my invitation to you is to invite you to come worship God with me. Let's do that.